In this episode, I want to take a look at a couple of characters, one fictional, one not, an actor, and the book of Ecclesiastes, in order to flesh out a problem about how many of us view ourselves today, how secularists address the problem, and how Christians can navigate their lives in light of this problem. It's a tightly wound but manageable knot we're about to unwind, but I have full confidence we'll be able to get through it and shed some light on some very important lessons. This is episode number four of The Reasonable Podcast, and I'm ready to get into it. Hang tight. We're about to jump in. I'm Don, and this is Reasonable. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself. Charles Foster Kane was the protagonist in the critically acclaimed 1940s film Citizen Kane. Hailed as possibly the greatest film ever recorded, it tells the tale of a young but wealthy newspaper owner who rises to the height of his profession and later runs for political office, only to have his chances dashed when caught in a scandal involving a young singer. Portrayed by Orson Welles, who also produced and directed the film, Kane commands the respect of everyone around him and is depicted as a larger-than-life figure from his imposing frame, witty yet profound lines, and his careful placement on screen. Accustomed to receiving whatever he desires, Kane never seems truly satisfied with his life and grows what only can be described as bored, all the while grasping at possessions, various endeavors, as well as people, in hopes they'll make him more content or somehow push him over that imaginary edge into a non-existent realm of happiness. The film actually begins with the death of Kane, and we, the viewers, are then taken back to his earlier years, guided by a few individuals studying his life to figure out the meaning of his final utterance before death. Rosebud. As we're taken scene by scene from his early years, we can see how Cain's stated intentions, intentions he actually believed himself, intentions courageously drummed up in the heart of a wealthy young man with a chance to speak for the unspoken for, fade and become thinner and thinner. And both Cain and all the viewers begin to see the unadulterated core, the true center, the unmasked heart, driving the man we all but fell for in the first act. On the other hand, I am the publisher of the Inquirer. As such, it's my duty, and I'll let you in on a little secret. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates just because they haven't anybody to look after their interests. Christians know all about this. We believe every human is unique and in a way which gives us incalculable worth. We are created in the image of the one and only God. At the same time, we have a heart or a core reasoning faculty, an inner chamber from which all our actions spring. Our capacity for reasoning and intellection is very strong, but it does not tend toward good, but rather evil. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The answer to that rhetorical question is as follows. The only one who created us. Sadly, we cannot tame our hearts, and whether Wells meant for him to or not, Cain, the character, the man, spells that out for us plainly. 
Writing over at thegospelcoalition.org, Kenneth Moorfield writes an article entitled Citizen Kane as Ecclesiastes on Film. Moorfield in his article makes a number of great points which force us to stare into the similarities between Charles Foster Kane and Solomon, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Moorfield points out, Wells's masterpiece isn't a particularly Christian film, but it illustrates the God-shaped emptiness at the core of those who look for meaning and fulfillment in money, sex, success, and power only to find the pursuit of those things as meaningless as chasing after the wind. It seems here Moorfield might have in mind the opening of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That God-shaped emptiness Moorfield writes about comes through the screen as plain as day for Christians watching the film. Even later in life, Cain knows full well there's something wrong with the way he's become. You know, Mr. Bernstein... If I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. Don't you think you are? I think I did pretty well under the circumstances. What would you like to have been? Everything you hate. We know, though, that it was not his economic status which made him the way he uncomfortably ended up. Kane's money only amplified its condition in a way so public and spectacular it made for a groundbreaking story, although it was a fictional one. The poor and the rich alike can be both wicked or pious. The sickness that makes us restless even a few days after finishing our most coveted accomplishment runs deep, and we'd better believe it's inside all of us. Moorfield in his article puts it well when he writes, quote, The idealism of Charles Foster Kane erodes beneath the bonds of habit in a lifetime of selfishness. I can't help but mourn the unrealized potential that lies in so many of us who have been given so much, end quote. A warning which will hopefully sober us to the fact that even our best intentions are still our intentions, and we can't trick ourselves into believing even our best works can't be hijacked by our own selves. Cain started out believing he could help with what he had at his disposal, and he ended believing it wasn't so much what he had at his disposal, which was the cure for the city's ailment, but rather, it was he himself. Who entered upon this campaign with one purpose only, to point out and make public the dishonesty, the downright villainy of boss Jim W. Geddes' political machine, now in complete control of the government of the state. I made no campaign promises because until a few weeks ago, I had no hope of being elected. <laughs> now, however, I have something more than a hope. <laughs> Jim Geddes, Jim Geddes has something less than a chance. <laughs> It's seldom as obvious as it was for Kane on screen, but in our lives, we need to continue to check our intentions. When we find what is self-serving or vindictive or underhanded, we do well to readjust our trajectory, lest we become frustrated at the fact that we've reached yet another hill which looks too much like the last one we climbed. Continuing down that slope, we'll end up like Cain, with less and less strength as we get older, calibrating and recalibrating our lives in order to satisfy the craving that only God can satisfy, because he put it there in the first place. There is such a thing as discontentment brought on by prolonged contentment. 
Think of the way we picture ourselves. Most of us see ourselves as people who only have a little or, at very best, not as much as we think we should. We run our circuits on the way to what we would ultimately like until we crave more. This is exactly the thing Cain experienced, only on a more opulent level. Keeping along this same theme, I want to take a look at an individual who's been resurfaced as of late, having gone under a sort of a reinvention of himself. For many of us, he has been frozen in time, as it were, as the high-energy slapstick comedian who made us all laugh with his portrayals of a number of characters, which all seem to bear a certain quality that can only be summed up in the name Jim Carrey. Appearing at a fashion event some time ago, Carrie was interviewed beforehand on the red carpet. You're wandering the streets. You need a date to the party. What's up? No, no, no. I'm 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 doing just fine. Uh, I just uh, you know, there's no meaning to any of this. So I uh, I wanted to find the most meaningless thing that I could come to and join, and uh, and uh, and here I am. They're celebrating. I mean, you got to admit it's completely meaningless. Well, they say they're celebrating icons inside. Celebrating icons, icons? boy, that is just the absolute lowest aiming, you know, possibility that we could come up with. It's like icons. What do you, do you believe in icons? I don't believe in personalities. I don't believe that you exist, but there is a a wonderful fragrance in the air. You don't believe certain icons have the power to make change, to think differently, to be bold, to inspire others? Artistry, you're one of them. On the good foot. Let's pause this right here and examine what's going on grammatically. Kerry has just used the word I at least eight times. He used the word you at least three times, and he's going to keep using these words as he tries to explain how none of us exist and how everything's meaningless. Now, we need to be aware of the fact that there was a film that was to be released around the time of this interview. The film was a documentary following his transformation into the late actor Andy Kaufman during the filming of the movie Kerry starred in, Man on the Moon. Let's leave a little room for at least some of what's coming from Carrie as being possibly, in part, promotional behavior. We need to also be aware of the fact that although those of us who've lived through the 90s loved his acting, there's a whole new generation coming up. And a lot of what we see today with older actors is actually an intentional rebranding undertaken in order to stay relevant in a very bizarre and cluttered entertainment arena. Even still, these interviews expose something Carrie is at least comfortable with. And these interviewers have no idea what's going on. They're just barely sliding through, dodging the nonsensical turns Carrie throws at them in order to save the interview from breaking down. Let's push back with a little bit of reason and not be as malleable as they were. I don't care. But Jim, you got really dressed up for the occasion. You look good. No, I Was that an accident? I didn't get dressed up. Who did? There is no me. There's no you. No. We're not here. This is a dream. There's just things happening. And there are clusters of tetrahedrons moving around together. Okay. So what's happening in our world right now? Because there is a lot of news that actually is relevant that's not that uplifting. Here's the thing. It's not our world. None of this is real? Nope. Nope. So you're just passing through. We don't matter. We don't matter. Oh, wow. Here's the good news. He may not know that he's doing this, but Carrie is walking much the same line as we see being laid out in Ecclesiastes. It's clear Carrie has adopted, to some measure, an atheistic worldview, which, he says, leaves us without purpose. Now, Ecclesiastes is written from a theistic point of view, but the similarities come in the form of a sense of restlessness about the regular working out of daily humanity. Watch the clip and listen to the deflecting Carrie does from detail or objective questions which demand a cogent response in favor of downward, dark, dismal statements about our supposed state. 
but delivered in a nice way. What happened to make Jim Carrey this way? Well, maybe he was this way all along, but we can glean a little context from another interview he gave about his acting as Andy Kaufman. Um, Releasing this out into the world and just being so vulnerable and having this side of yourself and this, you know, no, exposed. Because no. there is no me, no self. Uh, Jim Carrey is gone, actually never existed. And I know that now. So I'm able to take gigantic chances with this thing that people know as Jim Carrey. Uh, and I'm actually able to communicate in an authentic way mm-hmm. because there's really nothing at stake. Doesn't, uh, doesn't, none of it matters to me. Uh, what, what seems to be happening is uh, things seem to be happening that matter to other people or apparently matter to other people because of that or whatever, but I, I feel free of it. I, I, I'm free of whatever construct that uh, appeared to be. And uh, you create yourself at the beginning of your life to, uh, to fit in and to be accepted and to be admired and, and then at some point Maybe, if you're lucky, uh, things start splitting at the seams now. The whole thing's tumbling down, and you're free. It seems Carrie has struggled with his true identity, and it's pretty obvious he's having trouble settling into whatever he defines himself as now. All the while, promoting a film based on the portrayal of a performance artist who has made his audiences question the line between his life and his performances, which is kind of ironic. We can be sure he will find no home for his emotions, no bedrock to his understanding until he comes to terms with the fact that we were created with intention and our lives are full of meaning and responsibility. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Listen to the working out of this verse in real time. It's unbelievable how clearly this verse shows itself in the life of Carrie. The 55 or so year old actor seems to have reached a point somewhere along his life where he realized he has no particular pleasure over what goes on around him. Most secularists seem to fall pretty often under the self-professed category of atheist and therefore have little hope when it comes to what happens after we die. This means that, unlike the Christian, there is no hope for an eventual victorious future there is a very real possibility of a coming dystopian existence and given the trends in human behavior, that possibility must seem more like a probability. This must bring about a sense of helplessness and powerlessness, feeling as if we each only have about 80 years or so to see whatever dreams we have come true. Along with that and the gnawing feeling that most justice will never be carried out, most secularists believe the key to overcoming pending disaster lies in the state. This is why it comes as no surprise that both of our persons of interest in this episode place their confidence more in themselves and politics than God or anything else. Charles Foster Kane originally sought to effect the type of change he wanted to see through his newspaper circulation, and later, by way of toppling the existing political leader in the city, boss Jim Geddes. Kerry, much a part of the political left, like most other celebrities, uses what is left of his public platform to push leftist politicians and socialism here in the United States. He's also taken to politically motivated paintings, which make their rounds online. I predict, though, that this interest in politics as a means to an end is only temporary. Increasingly, as these political plans and aspirations are thwarted and undermined, more drastic means will need to be employed. 
It's only that we are in an age of pacifism and industrial progress that we aren't so prone to less civil means of seeking to change society. If you're having a hard time envisioning this, take some time to look into what's happening in the city of Portland, Oregon with Antifa and ancillary organizations. Take them to the streets in violent protest, rerouting traffic, blocking off certain sections of the city with little or no regard to law enforcement, which seems to let them do whatever they'd like to do. If you're still having a hard time picturing a United States in the throes of a more violent means of coercion, think back to the riots which developed after the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Take into consideration the amount of property damage and injuries which occurred over something even the residents who had witnessed the incident admitted clearly didn't happen. Now, if the left gains significant political power in the near future, this will prevent to a degree this uptick in physical intimidation coming from that side. However, whether violence spikes or not, Christians will be faced with intimidation in the form of policy and social pressure. Our hope is unshakable because the object of our hope is unshakable. We cannot do anything as Christians in an unchristian way. We work and play as Christians. We eat and build our communities as Christians. This needs to be obvious and very distinct from what secularists have to offer. In a society which prizes being loud and unique, we too often believe the lie that we should avoid explicitly Christian expressions in our lives. This means our businesses, our neighborhoods, our events, our dress, our leisure, our art. Likewise, it is impossible to be a secularist and not have it permeate your lifestyle. Just look at the examples we visited in this episode. Look at the art of Jim Carrey. Look at his interviews, his speeches, one in particular I'll link to in the website post for this episode. Look at the example of Charles Foster Kane. He used his business and all of his possessions to meet a goal he was chasing. How are we doing? Are you locked into a church? Do you know people in the church that you attend? Do you seek out and support Christian businesses? Do you donate to Christian causes? What Christian institutions do you plan to send your children to? Author Rod Dreher recently authored a book, which I highly recommend, called The Benedict Option. In it, he touches on this very subject. How are we to live together as Christians in a post-Christian culture? Realize that our institutions are secularizing and dying, and it is our responsibility as Christians to make sure we supply the next generations of Christians with the resources they need. The kingdom of God is not brought about by random acts of kindness. It is not brought about by staying in our own Christian lanes. The ancients knew this. The reformers knew this. And so did Christians just a few hundred years ago. Consider the fact that many of the universities that we hold in high esteem now were founded by Christians as Bible-believing institutions. Yale, Princeton, Harvard, Oxford, just to name a few. Also, take a second to check your favorite maps application for the hospitals nearest you. Take note of their names. How many saints' names do you find? Do you think secular people started these endeavors? Look even into the history of your own church Ask around with the older folks in your church and see how hard the founders worked in order to keep things going, to buy the property, to weather various financial crises and setbacks. Are we building pillars for the kingdom of God today, or are we building on to another kingdom altogether? Are we getting ready for a completely renewed Christian future, or are we letting the secular institutions take over what used to be ours? If you're treading water in this world, you're drifting. 
there's a current which leads in a way opposite God's eternity. And we'd really better be swimming for our lives and the lives of Christians years down the line. Finally, I don't want to give the impression that each of us should go out and start Christian schools. That would be counterintuitive. What we should be doing is getting to know and supporting these institutions and other Christian initiatives. Living simple and well-thought-out lives, always evangelizing, always huddling inward to support our fellow Christians. We're entering an era where the prevailing worldview is secular humanism. It might be hard sometimes to distinguish which efforts are worth joining and which efforts won't be worth it in the long run, but look at it this way. Every single thing that is not explicitly God-glorifying will not make it into the new creation. Don't make the mistakes of our two subjects here in this episode. Don't turn to self-glorification or apathy like the world does. Instead, let's lead the world into a new age which has God as its center, otherwise known as the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. If you've benefited from this podcast, consider subscribing. You can contact me online at twitter.com forward slash the letter I, the letter M, Donald John, or at my website, www.donaldjohn.com, where you can find my email address, as well as links to my other social media accounts. I look forward to hearing from you. I'm Don, and this is Reasonable.